mindfulness mode. It's coming back to, okay, what are the good things that happened? You start to list one or two and that switches my mindset. Hey, reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here in Mindfulness Mode. And it's exciting because I have a husband and wife team today with over 20 years experience homeschooling their children. So this is going to be very interesting. And not only have they homeschooled their children, but they have nine of them to homeschool. So that's been quite a challenge I would expect and I can't wait to talk to them about that. And while they've done the homeschooling, they've simultaneously been running their own thriving online business. But the the thing that we're going to talk about is the fact that five of their nine children have now carved out personal career paths as a result of careful guidance and encouragement of their individual interests and talents. And this strategy used to help their children achieve success has been fine-tuned. And that strategy can help you with your children. And all you have to do is check it out at parenttheirpassion.com. I'm here today with Jonathan and Renee Harris. Jonathan, Renee, it's so exciting to have you here. Jonathan, are you in mindfulness mode today? <laughs> uh, a little bit. <laughs> Every <laughs> once in a while I get into panic mode. And uh, so depending on the day, yeah, uh, sometimes I feel it feels really, uh, it's smooth. Everything's coming along. And then every once in a while you get a doubt pop into your mind and, uh, and you got to check all the, all the checklist two or three times before you calm down. Well, I can imagine that having nine children. Renee, tell us, what does mindfulness mean to you and to you as a parent of nine children? I can only imagine. Well, I think I think what we've learned over the years is to become very intentional about how we're raising our kids, why we're raising, you know, why we do the things that we do. A lot of it is deciding what to cut out so that you can include the important things. And I think what we've learned as parents is to, we help each other out. So <laughs> Jonathan, he, if he has a, a tough day or something come up, I'm there to kind of like remind him, but he does the same for me. It's sometimes it's at four o'clock in the morning when I'm having my anxiety or something, but just kind of coming straight back to what our goals are and um, the reasons we're doing what we're doing. And a lot of it has to just do with gratitude. And at the end of the day, what went well, that really helps to set the stage for us for how the rest of the day goes. Wow, that's fantastic. Jonathan, I can only imagine how much mindfulness it must take to do what you do. What does mindfulness mean to you? For us specifically, a lot of it has to do, of course, with raising children in the household. And when when you get down to the details, a lot of times you can, you, you, the difficulty seems to be in the details, of course, and that's where most people struggle, right? So the day-to-day, -day, how much do you do this? And who do you take where? And so for us, it has been, okay, what's the big picture? And uh, we, as far as like with our own children, we do have conversations on an ongoing basis where we're, we're trying to understand what it is we are doing. I mean, we collectively, not just us as the parents, why we are involved in a particular activity or where we are going. So it's a lot of um, self, self-awareness of why we're doing, I think the frustrations is when you're involved in something that could be di difficult or you feel like it's not making progress is because you've lost sight of the big picture of why you're doing that. And sort of that recalibrating, um, I think in the early days, we even did a lot of mind mapping with the kids 
okay, you're doing all this uh, schoolwork and everything, but let's see how this could fit in the bigger picture. So teaching them also how to um, have that sense of peace of where they're going. Well, Renee, I'm fascinated that you have been able to put together a package to help other people based on what you've done with your children. And I, I think that's really incredible. Does that help you to then in turn continue on to do a better job with your own children? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with just that, what is, what's the goal, kind of going back to what the goal is. And so for us, even, even with running a business, you know, a lot of it has to do with how are we serving other people. And one thing that we have learned as we're developing these passions and interests in our kids is how does it bring value to other people? And as a business owner, it's the same thing. It's what I'm doing every day is, is what I'm doing right now ultimately going to bring value to somebody else then it's that constant question that is kept at the back of my mind and then it moves us forward and then you get to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, that's that's really wonderful. Well, so tell me how you're able to use mindfulness on a daily basis. Do you have do you have a, a mindfulness routine that you do every morning that you can share with us? Well, I know for myself, I have found that um, just figuring out the most productive time of my day. And for me, it happens to be at four o'clock in the morning, but I need a few things in place to do that. For one, what would get me up at four o'clock in the morning? First of all, getting to bed at a decent time. Second, it's having the accountability. And, and I meet with a kind of an accountability work co-working group on Zoom. So we are all doing our own things. We're not uh, talking to each other per se. We're just getting on at four o'clock my time. So, you know, we're on the West coast. So I'm probably one of the first ones that early that early in the morning, but we're all working for two hours on our own things. We check in. I know that these ladies are going to be in the room at 4am. So it motivates me to get up and start working on that. And even before that, sometimes I, I have, you know, certain apps on my phone that I use in order to uh, wake me up. And for me, it's some Bible reading. And I have that where I'm laying in bed, I'm kind of still waking up my eyes, especially <laughs> when you hit 15, you can't see as, as well. I have an audible um, Bible reading time that I do in the morning. And then by then I'm ready to, okay, I'm out of bed. I'm going to get downstairs and start working at four. So for me, that four to six, that routine is really important because it's so productive for me. And, you know, when you have a lot of children in the house, I don't have those interruptions. And I just kind of set that stage of what can I do during those two hours that needs the focus. And then later on, it could be the less important things that I do where interruptions are okay. All right, that's interesting. Jonathan, I wanna know what you do for you in your life that feeds you. Um, well, for me, it's probably uh, talking it out with my wife. <laughs> so that probably, because uh, I need that external reality check of what we're trying to do. So obviously those conversations that we have as husband and wife, a lot of it has to do with our business and raising the kids and then um, larger spiritual questions. For me personally, um, I like to read theology books and, and surprisingly enough that gives me that sense of peace and quietness because it's usually dealing with the, the bigger perspective on life and so I like favorite one lately is on as a commentary in the book of Ecclesiastes. So if, if your listeners aren't familiar, it's a very philosophical book and it has a lot to do with letting things go. <laughs> I mean, that's 
that uh, is one of the big themes is learning how to not be so controlling uh, about things and understanding that things have a way of working themselves out, even if they, even if in the moment, uh, some things don't seem correct. So uh, for me, that has, but for myself personally, I've always been a book reader and I find a lot of uh, comfort in, uh, in reading books like that. So it keeps my mind um, more focused on, um, on the bigger calm things. I need that. My personality needs that. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up, that idea of letting go. Renee, how do you let go? Because I know there are people that spend years and years trying to figure out how to let things go. And they sometimes just have a huge challenge with it. How do you do this in your life? I think you have to be selective on on who you are around because sometimes the things that are creeping in to overtake your mind could be it could be people you know not, it's not always events or outside factors sometimes it's just people and people's beliefs and thoughts that are kind of getting in the way and so I think some of times it's like sometimes you can't erase people out of your life obviously but you can involve people that are going to be um, helpful to you and to help things get sorted out so that you can make decisions from there. Like, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with that? So just being able to kind of unload on, uh, on a close friend and uh, my husband, he's, he gets to be the receiving end of that too. But having that, just that, just even talking it out makes me feel better. So that's like that first step of being able to uh, get it off your chest and then move on from there. If you have to make a decision or not. Yeah. I know to piggyback on hers, I think, that's a good point that she made about it's not so much the events, any particular event, um, a car breaking down, that kind of thing. It's not that it's rather the most distressing thing is that people that uh, you may have in your social circles that you otherwise care for that are maybe in in difficulty. And uh, the reality is the most distressing is this one is self and self-inflicted. And that's probably the hardest one to deal with. And I think a lot of people deal with that when you know, when I hear um, friends talking about what difficulties, usually it's a situation, either, uh, you know, a child or, or a close relative that, that's going through difficulty that's been self-inflicted. So not so much, actually, when I'm thinking about it, not so much actual sickness and so forth, which is difficult, but the one that keeps people up at night is trying to fix other people's problems. And I think, um, that's where talking it out with other people is sometimes you have to come to some measure of peace that they're not victims. And I think that helps relieve um, that sense of burden. So in other words, you're carrying a burden to fix or be in charge of something that you're not really meant to, to be in charge of. Um, so I'm just thinking on the fly here, but now that I think about it, it's not so much the event, but uh, the difficulties that people land themselves in. And then you, you, or perhaps what, if we're responsible, of course, that would be distressing. But I think a lot of it is is people close to us that may be going through difficulty and you have to decide how much um, it's your responsibility to to fix it and then letting go. And, and it actually allows you to be with those people when you're not trying to carry their, um, to try to be responsible for fixing it. Well, I think it's really interesting that you brought up that topic, Jonathan, about not playing that victim role. And, and children you know, in their innocence, do feel like a victim sometimes. And, and it's our job as parents to teach them as they get older that that's not a good path to 
to live. How do you go about um, teaching your children not to play that victim? And Renee, I don't know if you want to answer this or you do, Jonathan, but how do you go about teaching your children this? Well, from a practical point of view, and that wasn't in our intention, that's not, so in other words, we do things like with our parents, their passion, it's just a, something we've dubbed, right? So it's a collection of, uh, it's, a, it's a type of mindset and attitude and a bunch of techniques to make it possible. And I think one of them we have discovered, especially with teenagers, is that instead of looking at life or talent building specifically as this one big event that you're working toward, it's rather you're 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 changing the discussion is like how can i bring value to other people and that changes the conversation because it's not so much how can i be accepted uh, that does play a little bit of it but it's more how can i bring value to people and so we always say whatever you're going to be doing is not it's you're 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 discovering what it is that you can do for other people so we typically approach any activity um, that's new in its scope, or we're going to try in a different venue. We're, we're typically, it's probably not going to work the way we want, but we're going to find out why or where it doesn't work, and then we're going to modify it. So the, the one thing I'm actually very grateful for is that our kids do not have that sense of victim mentality as far as regards to um, being accepted, because they always have this attitude that we've actually intentionally trained into our kids. It's like, you know what, you may be good at music or you may be good at art or you may be good at your drone work, but probably people are not going to accept it the way you want it, the way it is. And that's okay because that means you're going to have to grow a little bit, present it slightly differently or put another skill or go to a different location. So we never have this, uh, am I accepted or rejected? It's more, I'm trying to bring value to someone. They don't quite get it. How can I modify it so they can accept it. So it, it changes it to a servant mm -hmm. mindset, servanthood mindset, rather than here I am, am I accepted or rejected? I think that's really interesting. And uh, so with all of your children, it sounds like you've been able to really help them hone in on a certain skill and then really fly with it. Is that right, Renee? Is that basically right. true? Yeah, in fact, um, even answer your earlier question about, you know, what we one thing that they're not comparing or getting that victim mentality is because they are in a situation that's not just around their peers with the same expectations as all the kids around them. So if you put, you know, 12 year old in the classroom of 12 year olds and you have an expectation, they can only compare with each other. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that by finding and identifying certain interests that they start with, starting with the interest, because that's the easiest. So whatever they're interested in, and then having them pursue some of those interests and merge some of them, and then use your family as a safe place to test it out. They don't have that victim mentality of, oh, I can't do this. I I'm a failure. You're, you're in a family unit. You're in a place that is safe to try it out. And we're constantly giving them the opportunities. So if it's something that they're interested in, they can grow it and then we're looking for other opportunities outside of the family that they can still learn grow and bring value to other people and that's where their self-esteem just flies and they want to keep building and building and building and so that's pretty much how that's been our philosophy with how we've raised the kids yeah i think that that came up uh, we had a conversation with somebody the other day and they were bringing up um this issue where you know some kids can feel pretty um uh, you know down or unworthy because they they don't have, they're comparing themselves to the other kids their age. Well, the problem is 
uh, underlying that is that if you like the example, you put a bunch of 12 year olds together, by the way, if you do the same with adults, it would be the exact same thing in the workforce, uh, except that in the workforce, we wouldn't tolerate that. Your boss wouldn't tolerate that because they want specialists. But if you put 12 year olds and they're all on this lockstep thing at this age, they have to do this history and this math. So of course there's this average, a little bit of an artificial average that you're trying, each child is trying to meet. So if they don't meet that, of course they're a failure. Um, or at least they could appear that way. So the conversation is always in that, could, can very often be in that, well, you need to catch up, you need to do this, you need to do that. Whereas if they have their own sort of identity or, or uniqueness that they're developing, sure, they may not be uh, keeping up with the average or they may be ahead, but it doesn't really matter because that's just a tangential thing. Whereas when their main identity is like trying to keep up with a bunch of 12 year olds, uh, in, in, in the same way together in lockstep, that's when I think potentially people can get frustrated. Um, and children can get frustrated, parents can get frustrated, right? Because you're not yeah. developing any, any strengths, you're just trying to pound away, uh, trying to fit your child into a statistical average at 12 years old. Right. Can you tell us about some of the success that some of your children have met with that is related to their talent? Yeah, well, let's start with our oldest son because he was our. Now, this this all came about because out of more necessity than um, an idea that just popped in our heads. So, you know, Jonathan and I kind of did the traditionally went to school, got our degrees, went to the workforce, got married. You know, I I raised um, started to stay home to raise the kids. Jonathan was in the tech field, and a series of events that led to. Are we doing the best for our kids, especially today? I mean, the kids today have access to so much more than we did. And so we saw those opportunities for them. And we also had an opportunity just because we had we happened to have a home business that also we wanted the kids to get involved in and learn from and help with. And we were homeschooling. So this was already 12 years, yeah, actually 14 that, years yeah. ago <laughs> that we yeah. started that. And so all of a sudden we had some needs in our business. And we decided, well, we could, you know, hire it out and pay the experts to do, or we can identify some of those skill sets that our kids had and were already developing and use them to help out with the business. And then not that they had to become um, partners with us in the business and not even that we were trying to raise them in such a way that they were going to take over in the future. That wasn't, I know that's a traditional way of thinking and with family businesses, that wasn't our goal. It was instead to, you know, we have one child who is, at the time he was our oldest and he was interested in photography and he had a little bit of music interest and he, you know, he was taking some guitar lessons and so on. And so we had a product that needed to have pictures taken of it. And he was used to doing using his camera just to go play with his friends, take pictures. Sometimes he would do video and kind of piece them together to make these fun movies. And we saw him doing that and thought, how did, now we can easily say he should be bringing value to others, which he is to his own friends. But could he actually turn around and help us in the business in some way to bring value to us? And then can we now turn that into learning for him so in such a way that he can then turn around and bring value, become marketable? So that over the past, you know, 13, 14 years, that's exactly what happened with him. It started with photography. He helped us with our business. He had to take some classes. He had to go, he talked to 
um, one of the photo, uh, what did you call that the other day? The it was photo? a camera store. Camera store. <laughs> <laughs> right. Camera store, but somebody who knew exactly what kind of lighting he would need. Sure. So he would purchase the lights, bring them back home, use, you know, use that. And then he, he was interested in, in photography, but then someone had a drone. He got very interested in the drone. So all of a sudden he is now really getting into the editing of, of uh, the photos and he is expanding his knowledge of software. And now he has somebody who um, needs him to do some drone shots for their real estate business. So these little things start to grow and we encourage it. We just give him the environment that's safe. He's, you know, we're thinking if he gets all into photography and wants to grow up to be a wedding photographer, that's a hard life. So how can we build on those skills to give him something that by the time he leaves our, our house, he has something that's already making money. He could choose to go to college if he wants to with it, or he can decide to be self-employed, or he's got a portfolio, the showcasing all of the work. Yeah, he's done. and and all this is none of this is we sat down and said, okay, he's going to become, you know, X Y Z career. Okay, this mm-hmm. is part of this whole victim thing, and I see this in teenagers, and I see this, and my opinion is that when you when I see teens who are either two extremes, right, super active, hyperactive involved in, in too many things, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you can't even keep up with this team. And then you have the other, the other side of the coin, which is very, probably the most common is where they're almost depressed. They're on the couch. We call them couch potatoes. You ask them, what do you like? You know, everybody knows what that is, right? You, yeah. you have the uh, sitcoms they make fun of that too, but we have that with, you can see that. And I think part of the problem is, is because they feel like victims. You can say, well, I don't have anything going for me. What they're really saying is they don't feel productive or valuable. The problem is, is that you can't just tell a person, feel happy. I mean, you could say it, but it's usually not going to solve the problem or be motivated because they honestly are starting to become self-aware that they are not um, interacting or bringing value. I think a lot of our identity as people comes from being able to produce something that not only we enjoy, but that we want other people to enjoy with us and experience. The reality is they have the potential. They just haven't put it together. So we're when we're talking about our, our son, the photographer, he's not a photographer, by the way. He wouldn't be described that way. He manages teams of people who are videographers. And he's a very good, and uh, he's 24, and he manages mostly people my age. And to, that was a jump. But what he did over time was he went from there to then um, starting his own drone operator operator business. Yeah. He had to learn all of the laws that are involved in that. And he was kind of on the cutting edge of learning all that. And then he was able to work for some of the uh, local utility companies that hired him as a contractor. And mm-hmm. then it just kept building and building and a lot of networking along the way so that he owns his own business and he's hired out. Uh, to do some, and, but he ends up in the end, he's found that I love managing people. So he's actually more of a people manager than a drone mm-hmm. operator, but he used that passion and those interests and skill set to build on, to get to where he is now. And at 24, he can go different directions if he wants to. He right. Goes, so he the whole point stage. is that you're, you, you lose completely. <laughs> I would say they're way more courageous than we were at their age. And I think it's because they've completely lost that sense of being rejected or anything in their minds, everything is, okay, well, they don't want it, or I can't go here, or I can't do this because I don't have what they need right now. And that's okay, because we we will have this conversation, well, maybe you shouldn't be there, because it doesn't mean you should necessarily be engaged in whatever it is you're trying to do. You have to come to that conclusion sometimes. And other times, it's like, okay, instead of, it's not an on and off switch. 
when they look at situations. It's always, well, what can I do to, to, to make the situation better? Or what can I bring to it? And they, and, and truthfully, that's how life really works. So a lot of times when they, when they're, they're working through it, we don't know exactly what it is they're going to be doing, but we understand that once they have this mindset going and this attitude is like, um, I mean, usually when they start off, it can we can that victim, if you want to use that word, because that's all that's how they react. Well, they didn't want anything I, I did. And I'm almost like, well, wait a second, what did you do? And then they'll say, Well, they come, well, they couldn't hear uh my music. And it's like, well, maybe they couldn't. Was it difficult? It's like, yeah, I didn't have a speaker. So all of a sudden we teach them, it's like, so it's not that they're rejecting you per se, it's like they genuinely couldn't hear you. So maybe is there something? So then you ask them the question, was there something we could do to make it better? The answer could be, well, maybe we need to be in a different setting, or maybe I need to get some speakers, or et cetera. And so you, you, you teach them uh, that those are obstacles. You teach them that those are obstacles rather than rejections or failures. Those are obstacles, and the obstacles will give you the answer that either you need to throw yourself uh, into overcoming that obstacle or to pivot into a different direction. I see. I'm curious how you help other parents to uh, bring up their children through your parent, their passion uh, initiative. This has been really fascinating for us because I feel like every time we talk to new parents about their kids that we've never met before, we wouldn't know outside of doing our website. We learned so much about their advantages, their assets that they, and that's one of the things that because we aren't familiar with them and we are on the outside looking into their family life, we can bring so many things out that they don't see because it's under their roof. And it'd be the same thing we would, if somebody were to come and look at our family and, and we're just kind of, we think, well, everybody thinks this way or everybody does this. When someone can come in and say, no, you have a lot of advantages. So the first thing we do is it's called an interest list. And we gather, we get, uh, we actually have a course that helps the teen go through it if they want to go on their own or the parents. And it helps people to brainstorm all of their different interests. It could also be what subjects that they enjoy in school. It could be something that they, you know, if they had all the free time on a Saturday, how would they spend it? How does, uh, what are the things that they might've shown interest when they were younger, but didn't have time to do just all the different possible interests that they have. That would be the first list. And then we go on the second list. Yeah. And so the, the second one, and that's a lot of times people will, will get stuck at that point because maybe this interest and you're like, oh my goodness, they like to play video games. We're doomed, you know, <laughs> yes. or, or you're like, how do you cross over? What does that mean? Well, the reality is an interest by itself just won't cut it. Yeah. It, it cannot develop into, into a, really into a passion motivation. Usually it'll just die out of frustration or it just can't get fueled. Mm -hmm. What's missing is the tools. You need tools to go with it. And by tools, we're talking, you know, your parent, maybe like, like, you know, Bruce, if you had a child who was interested in one of the tools, he may have a completely different interest, in, like maybe in repairing cars, but a tool that he has access to is basically podcasting because not necessarily that he's going to go on your show, but you could, if he wanted to, he could have access to uh, uh, using um, the podcasting tools to start his own show. So you can see right there. And that's just, just an example. You can marry an interest in, in mechanics with podcasting. That could be a potential, right? So you have a tool, tools make an interest start coming alive. But then, so you make a list of all the tools and most of the time people underestimate what they have available because usually they're thinking in terms of, 
just immediately what they have, but they forget that their father has a bunch of skills, their mom has a bunch of skills, their aunts and uncles, people who are so excited to be able to share. Uh, we, we joke because uh, uh, Renee uses Canva a lot. That is not something she started off in life, right? It's Canva is just one of those online tools where she can do, we used to pay graphic artists to do this stuff. Now she can whip out this stuff so fast and she just loves it because she's able to communicate um, um, uh, things for our business and now for Parent Their Passion and for other people so easily, but that you can see how a tool makes something that you're interested come alive. And and usually families underestimate what they have available because they, they think that, okay, my example of I'm interested in mechanics, my father's interested in podcasting, those are two separate worlds. We teach them, no, they're not two separate worlds. They can, they can merge if you think about it a little bit. And a lot of times when we talk to parents, we find out what they have their degree in or where they grew up or that they lived in another country for a little while or that they have relatives in this area that are very accessible that they haven't really tapped into. So it's like, it's a physical tools. Cameras are huge. I mean, you can use, you can use just your own iPhone. You've got a microphone on there. You've got video, you've got photography. There's so many that becomes a tool that a child can, whatever his interest is, when those two combine together can be used to grow the talent. So that those two are the first lists that we have them make. And then the third one is, is the family environment. Right. So you need, so especially if you're a young teen, you need an environment and where you can start bringing real value, not fake value. Right. So, so in other words, if, if uh, your child has an artistic bent and they're drawing pictures for mom and dad, mom and dad are always going to say something nice. They, the teen does not, uh, cannot, live off of that. They need real feedback. In other words, they're going to say something like, mom and dad, you're just saying that <laughs> because yeah, you love you me. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's, un but you know what, that is a genuine doubt it's for them scary. to have. It's genuine and legitimate. They want to know, do other people see the same thing that you're seeing? And the answer to that can only be discovered because even you as a parent, you don't necessarily know. I mean, sometimes it's pretty obvious, but a lot of times you're not hundred percent sure it looks good to you, but what other people receive that uh, outside of social obligations. So what you need to do is test it. And the act of testing to see if you're bringing value to other people is going to give um, th that kind of uh, feedback that a teen needs to know that what they're doing is valuable. So we had the example of our daughter who is much more artistic. Uh, she started off with realistic art, you know, uh, the traditional kind you'd go to school for, but she found out that really people did say nice things, but no one wanted to pay for it. No one. And she wasn't that good yet, of course. Mm -hmm. And, and there's all sorts of market reasons. Uh, cameras have gotten so much better, you know, so in order to compete in that space, you got filters, you, you can got, make some. Right. <laughs> yeah. But she found out that what people really wanted was cartoonized uh, versions of their grandchildren and their pets, uh -huh. right? because they wanted to exaggerate the, uh, the personalities, sure. which you cannot do with cameras. And it was affordable and they could put it on a mug, right? So the reality is people didn't necessarily want to put that on their, um, in their entryway, but they wanted to put it on their mug so they could walk around, sip and people, oh, you notice my kids? Yeah. Or, you know, so you don't know that we didn't know that. And I was asking my daughter, why are you turning down these opportunities when people are asking you to, she's doing the pets, but not the grandchildren. She's like, oh, dad, I don't want to do it because uh, my, my uh, grandkids look like old men, babies look like old men, which is a, I found out after the fact is a common mm -hmm. problem. And, and, and so she was discouraged. She was giving it up. Okay. Obstacle, right? 
She's not. And so I'm teaching her, you're not a victim. I didn't use those words, but it's like, you know, don't be discouraged. Let's do a quick search. See if there's an answer to this. So we typed it in and within seconds we got uh, somebody, yeah, somebody teaching a tutorial. She paid for it. It was how to make your babies not look like grandpas or something. It was something very straightforward. She took that lesson. It solved her problem. And it basically had to do with the, the proportion of the head and the eyes are very different than, than you would with an adult. And there, and it was very funny because this is a common problem. Once she solved that problem, is a very narrow, right? You're not trying to solve the world's problems. Then she could start accepting uh, these little small commissions, $10, $20, $30. Mm-hmm. So whenever you run, that's what we teach them. Whenever you, you're quote, she could have said, I'm being rejected as a person. My art is being rejected. Therefore, I'm being rejected. I will quit art. <laughs> I will quit art, you know, or I will do, I'll do something. It's like, Oh, well, what, what exactly, why are you not doing that? So that self-awareness that I want to say almost mindfulness is like, why are you really being not accepted in this particular area? Or why are you refusing to be in that area? And when you break it down, a lot of times it's a lot less dramatic than you think it is. It's because my babies look like old people. And I looked at it and it's like, yeah, I guess they do. I didn't give her, I was like, now's not the time to give her feedback. I guess they do look like old people. Right. Well, let's see if there's probably a solution to this. Now she could have decided, you know, it's too much work for me to do this. I'm going to give up. But that's where as parents, right, we're parenting them. We have to coach them. We're coaching them. It's like, it's not that, let's find out, take, take the lesson. Uh, You can afford it. Let's see if this solves a problem. Lo and behold, it solved the problem. And so then your confidence grows. So you, you, you train your children to constantly think in those terms. You, you may decide, you know, you may decide that, hey, it's not worth pursuing for other market reasons. But most of the time, there is a solution to it. You have to put the effort in it uh, and the rewards come. So that's what we, we um, teach them to, um, to do. Based on your experience with homeschooling, do you recommend that to other parents that they homeschool as well? It definitely makes life a lot easier. (laughs) I know parents feel that overwhelm. They feel like, oh, I could never home. I've heard it so many times. I could never homeschool my kids or I will stop when they get into high school because I can't handle the subjects. And to give parents confidence, you do not have to be the expert in all the subjects. You don't, especially today. There are so many different um, you know, just different curricula to choose from. There's so many different avenues, groups that you can handpick what you want. It's not, it's different from how we were raised. You got to fill these certain buckets. You have to pass these certain tests. Mm-hmm. They cram for the test. They forget it the next day. We found that by doing, by teaching kids, our kids to kind of do this more interest-based, all of a sudden they come to us. In fact, one of our kids who got really into bladesmithing, and so we allowed him to have a forge in the garage. He had to learn the things. And um, it was it was great for him to be in there. He's the one that came when he was, what, 16 or something and said, I, I, need, I need more chemistry. Wait, whoa, what? <laughs> I wouldn't have next. <laughs> to have a child come to you and say, I want more chemistry because I need the answers to fix this thing that I'm working on with these knives and the metals and so on. That was amazing because when they become so passionate, they're driving, it's almost like they're driving their own education. And when they're younger, yeah, we are, we are letting the kids, um, well, if they have an interest in something that we can say, hey, you have to also do some history. You need to know your history. So why don't you take that interest or whatever it is? And we're going to see how did that change in over the years in history and what was going on? How was that interest or that talent or that passion? 
handled during World War II, during the Industrial Revolution. So they can go, and then all of a sudden, instead of having to memorize dates and the times of wars and so on, they're finding out, like our son who was in the bladesmithing, there's plenty of weaponry and all kinds mm -hmm. of you know stages of history. They want to know, because we said, you got to cover history. So you can come back and tell us. And the other part we have is that we blog, we have them blog about it. So they have just years of blog posts where they're showcasing what they're learning and um, as, as it relates to their interests. So they're learning, it's all of the learning's getting done, the math is getting accomplished, the writing is getting done amazingly without tests and without grammar. We rely on Grammarly. Yeah, so. and well, and well, to be honest too, like what we, you know, people have different opinions like uh, Khan Academy, which is free online, right? Mm -hmm. So right now we don't really have anybody that's that passionate about math. One of them actually has a very easy time. He just flies through it. But um, Khan Academy has built-in tests and everything. Oh, I haven't heard of that. What's it? It's C O N Academy. No, K H A N. K H N. Yeah, K H O N. Yeah, it's it's actually considered now the largest purveyor of math courses in the world. And it takes. I mean, that that one especially is very easy because parents get reports exactly where the kids are, and if you don't pass your, you know, you don't. Pretty much every public school student goes to it after class. If they don't understand something, they go to Khan Academy. Oh, do they? But the point is, is that we're we we pick and choose, so it's not like like some things are much more traditional looking as far as like the curriculum is concerned. In some cases, other times it's much more eclectic. It's it's our goal is not to be eclectic or or, or uh, traditional based. Our goal is to develop our child's potential. And so mm -hmm. once you once you come to grips that you're developing their potential, not in an abstract way, like you know someday I hope they find fulfillment in life. Rather, how can we develop their potential now? And so when you start answering that question, then it's, it it becomes a little more clear as to what would be appropriate. Right. So we don't our, our children are not clones of each other. So in one case, you know, one person may just have a very easy time um, handling a particular type of content or format. The next child may be different. And so but when you answer the question is, how can we develop that potential? And really, the way we put it, we get if I were to say that to a child, hey, son, uh, 14 year old son. How can we develop your potential? You just look at you with like, well, uh, yeah, I'd like to just skateboard to the store and back and get, you know, they don't know what they're saying no. half the time. But if you say, how can you bring value and you name the, the, the their passion that they have or their interest, how could you bring value this weekend? In fact, how could you even make $10 with what you're doing? All of a sudden, the the answer to those questions, you might, might have to go through a, a, a iteration of conversations to come up with the answer. But once you have the answer, you have an action plan, um, it gets very specific, and that's when your child uh, lights up. And so with regards to like homeschooling, if you understand that you're developing their potential, not just trying to cram them with buckets of knowledge, right? So mm -hmm. we got, okay, he's 14, he's gotta have this X amount, X amount. And sometimes your child will look very traditional in this one area of, of knowledge and development but most of the time 99 of the time he's going to be at a different rate than everybody else's age he'll be more accelerated he'll be slower or he'll be none of the above it'll be a combination of something very very different it'll be something like our son who was so passionate about bladesmithing he was selling collectors uh, blades online and very involved and he got passionate about the the uh, chemistry of it or the metallurgy uh, see i don't even know the terms but the point is is that 
it's developing and morphing into something unique and interesting that matches your child's uh, potential. And potential is an abstract term because it's really a combination of what he has available around him and his natural bents and, and interests. I really find this fascinating. And I think that a lot of parents might ask, how can you keep your own business running and thriving while you're doing all this work with your children and with the homeschool? We're not doing the work. That's the point. They're doing the work. They're doing the work <laughs> because that's part of the answer. So if, you, if you're, you know, to, to uh, uh, and I'm going to, I'm just going to pick on the, the music example. And we actually do not have musicians in our family, but we know lots of people. But I think because it's so used so much in the films, if your child says they have an interest in music and they want to bring value to other people, you say, we need you to bring value to, we want you to bring value to other people. So you have a series of conversation. When they're very young, typically it'll be a conversation like, I want to go, and they'll name some big city where they're going to be on stage in front of 100,000 people. And of course, mm -hmm. as a parent, you're laughing. No, I mean, what can you do this weekend uh, where you can actually go and do that? Because the other ones, you'd have to be famous, wealthy, and you're too young and it's dangerous. And then you shut that off. We say, okay, but you know what? That's a good question. What can we do uh, to get closer to that goal? So they'll say, uh, maybe we have another town about 30 minutes away from us. We say, well, what about the local, uh, our lake club? It's a community club that we have. Lake club is a very glamorous word for uh, really everybody shows up from the neighborhood. <laughs> it's oh, very okay. low key. And that's where people like to be. And then some, you could easily bring a guitar. You could have a microphone. It's very low key. A team could actually play music there so we would say well we're not going to drive you places got to be somewhere you're accessible you don't have a driver's license so by answering those questions of how can you bring value you're going to come up with the answer and if we're involved too much we will get involved a little bit but it has to be their effort so we help them scale back to something that they can do because uh um that solves that problem of frustration because usually people have goals that are so big that really they're not uh, they're not in scale of where they are with their talent yet. So if they can scale it back, they can find an opening. If they if they if they're not developed enough and they try to go to this big thing, they're going to fall big. They're going to get refused right off the door. They're not going to understand why. But if they start with something small, it gives a talent their talent a chance to grow and for them to grow with it to decide is this the direction I want to go or do I need to pivot and most of the time they do pivot that's what happens they pivot on what they already have they want to go in a slightly different direction which is exactly what we want so we push the work onto our kids <laughs> so if we have to do it then we're thinking well that's not the right venue let's find a venue that you can do and an example like very practical that we've used in our business is that we have one of our kids is very interested in learning like Adobe Premiere. Is that the, with the yeah. video? Okay. So I, they know more than I even know it. So they have the skill. They like to put little videos together. They like to have the text overlay and they're familiar enough with Instagram and TikTok to know the right sizes. So mm -hmm. we would take something like this, where we have an actual video of us on a podcast and they will, when my son just did this for me the other day, and he was, he came to me to say, Hey mom, can I play around with that video that you just had uh, recorded and I want to create something like, yeah, sure. In fact, if you can make it this size for, you know, size for Instagram reels, that would be amazing. And if you could have the text over, I just tell them those basic things that I've seen other people do, which I'm not going to take the time to learn how to do it. He already has some of those skills, but he wants to make it be more valuable than just him riding the skateboard down the street. So he took, I told him exactly where the minute started of the content that I wanted. 
And I said, it's got to be under 30 seconds. So I said, start here, end here, and then do it for me. And so he did. He took it. He had it the right exact size. He put the text overlay as the person was talking. It took him probably about an hour because it was actually a brand new software to him, but he was mm -hmm. playing around with it. And he gave me back exactly what I needed. I'm not going to make tweaks like the color needs to be better. I want to put the logo on it, but th that will be the next step. So I can come back to him and say, that was great. I could use 10 more of those. If I give you 10 more pieces of content, can you do this again? All of a sudden he's valuable and he knows it. And mm -hmm. as things progress, if I can pay him, I will pay him. So like different families can use anything they want to as a reward system. So sometimes for our kids, like when they help us with a skincare business, I'm paying them because we're making money. We're going to turn around and pay them. Other times like, well, you're still kind of in that learning stage, but I will pay you with computer time tonight. So at, tonight, at, you know, we're going to Jonathan and, you know, dad and I are going to go hang out, have a date night and you can have computer time. You can go do games with your brothers. And so all of a sudden he's got something to look forward to. He's going to get all 10 of those done because he wants to have his game night. So yeah, kids will always surprise you at how much. Uh, uh, how much they can get done when they're motivated. And so I think a lot of it is like, you have to not, you have, once you, you're not trying to observe your child under a microscope to say, aha, here's his hidden potential. He doesn't know what his hidden potential is. You don't know. You have ideas, you have insights. And what you need to do is start cultivating that. And one of the keys to do that is to say, how can you bring value to other people with this? You're not just randomly walking around, how can I help an old grandma across the street? How can I, uh, you know, it's not what you're doing. What you're saying is I have certain strengths and abilities. What can I do today to start bringing value to other people with this? And this will eliminate anxiety. In fact, I think one of our biggest challenges, and so this, you know, it's, a, it's a fake problem, but one we is our kids are so incredibly motivated. They always think they can find the answer to something. And that's because they do not think in static terms. They don't wake up one day. It's like, how come I'm not this famous videographer? How come I'm not this famous whatever? We're like, that's not even, that's crazy talk. Mm -hmm. It's like, you want to become this famous, you know, do this famous thing. Well, then what can you do today to start emulating that at a small level? And if you can answer so that, that, that takes away that anxiety and bring and, and makes things real for them. And they get real feedback. And of course we tell them, we always tell them, it's like, yeah, your, your rewards will be small in the beginning, but doesn't it feel good? Mm -hmm. And usually they get a big smile and they say, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> you start them young. And you start them young. Them. Right. And yeah. you, you develop them and you get them addicted to that. For sure. Yeah. I always ask a question about bullying and I'm wondering if you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference. Hmm. I think, well, I think of, I, I've taught school in the past. So I was a high school teacher in the past. And I think mm -hmm. if I, our kids are not in public school, so, you know, they could get a little bit bullied by their bigger brother, but that's not going <laughs> to, not going to be at all the same. Right. But if I had a student in my classroom who I felt was bullied, then I think the answer to that would even be to come up with this thing that you can get passionate about and get good at. And it's going to solve, it's not going to solve all your problems, but on your in your spare time you're going to gravitate to the other kids who have a similar interest you're going to grow together you're going to get better at it kids are going to appreciate you for what you're doing and they're going to want to come to you they're going to become your little defenders in a way because you're bringing value to them as a child uh, with your peers they're going to come back to turn around and protect you from anybody that might be picking on you because they need you you're bringing value to them so i think 
part of it is just developing those interests at a young age. Yeah, you're developing an identity. And, and we can think of, of somebody who shared that with us who had a severe issue of bullying. And of course, but the thing is, they were in a public school. So that's one other reason why you may want to homeschool. So we have not had to deal with this, but I have seen or heard from other people. And I think if I remember my own childhood, uh, I was not bullied, but I had friends who were and I had to step in. But if I think about it, most of the time, unless it's a true gang situation, so we're, we're assuming we're not talking about that, right? that it's because they're trying so hard and usually they're trying uh, so hard to fit in and everybody kind of knows that they don't have their own thing going, right? So maybe, um, and I think that's partly the ident- an identity issue. So once you start throwing yourself into something and that's where the, the child may need the parent to help them cross that bridge when you're good at something, you start attracting other people who are also interested in the, in the similar topic. And so um, I think of like what our son who was, who's now grown adult and, and he's running his own machine shop. So he's pivoted several times on the whole metal stuff. But when we first started, we went to a local gem club, mm-hmm. gem and mineral, the area where we live in is old gold rush country. And there's tons of equipment that's been donated to this place over the years. A lot of crusty people there who know okay. their stuff. And once he started joining that club and going there in the beginning, I went with him at first because the adults were nervous about a kid around big blades and stuff. But when you join anything like that, it's very specialized. You start climbing the ranks within that social circle, whether it be in a very, just because you're showing up, people give you respect or you you start developing something. And I think that goes a long way towards fulfilling that social need to interact with other people. Um, and so perhaps I'm, when I think of bullying situations, typically because you're in large groups of people, you're kind of wandering around, you're trying to fit in with a, a sort of general activity. You know, everybody's doing, let's say basketball and you're just either not good enough, you feel like you can't participate, so you're on the side. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of situation, I think that lends itself to bringing out the worst in people and sort of henpecking people who don't fit the mold. But if you were part of a group, um, that was focused around something. So not focused on yourself, but focused on trying to do something. I think that solves 90% of the problems. Yeah, I I would agree with you. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So we'll have to zoom through it through this. Just maybe 30 second answers or less are perfect. The first one is this, who is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in either one of your lives? Uh, for me, it's Gary North. Uh, that's a theologian, so that'd be very obscure to most people. But he always had a way. He's a person who, con- who, who, in addition to writing lots of books, comments on uh, on social events, and he always brings it back to the big picture. It's kind of the in a thousand years or hundred years, would it matter? No. So, grow up and move on. Right. Well, Renee, I'll ask you this. Um, tell me how mindfulness has changed how you deal with your emotions it's coming back to that gratefulness. Like um, at the end of the day, it could be a tough day and we will, you know, get together and just say, what, what's the good. And Jonathan's good about that. If I'm just like, Oh, it's a hard day. And so it's, it's coming back to, okay, what are the good things that happened? You start to list one or two and that switches my mindset. Awesome. Awesome. The next question is about breathing. Do you have a comment about how breathing can make an impact to help how you can move through your life? I'll just, I'm going to jump in on that one because I gave birth to nine children. So I have yeah. learned a little bit about breathing. I guess you have. <laughs> and when you, 
Okay, you're pushing the boundaries. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but this is you can learn something here. But to just just that physical breathing of when you're in the most because you you notice the tension in your shoulders and your you know everything when you're in labor, hard labor, mm -hmm. and it all comes down to breathing taking your deep breaths and resting. And um, if I could just apply that every time I get a little stressed out, that would, that would be amazing. Right. I don't have a good story like that. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah, for sure. So the next question is about a book and Jonathan, you've already mentioned that author. Are there any other books specifically that you would recommend that can help people get focused, can help with mindfulness? I'll mention the book title though, A Table in the Mist, M-I-S-T. So that's a play, um, um, it's like, in other words, you're walking through the woods and you see this table mm -hmm. and it's murky, but there is peace and blessings and abundance available to you, even if you don't fully understand. So a table in the mist. Okay, I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And the last question is about an app and you've already talked a little bit about apps, but to sum it up, is there an app that can help us to stay focused and to be mindful? Well, one that I've been using recently, and um, I have to look it up now, but it's one that pops up with, for me, it's a Bible verse that keeps me focused. And so, especially if my mind is wandering, it's going to bring me right back. And I know there are so many apps that do that. And I thought that's going to be a distraction. It's going to be a notification. But no, it's just this little ping. And then I just look at it. It takes me two seconds. I, that's what I need. It's like that two-second thing. And for other people, it might be just just some kind of word of encouragement and that's what it is for me it gets my mind right back in the focus and then i go back to my whatever i'm working on awesome wonderful parent their passion.com is your website and uh mindful tribe i encourage you to go to this and to check it out there's so much value from this interview it's been great talking to both of you jonathan and renee i've really enjoyed it thank you so much for being on the show Thank you for having us and letting us share our story. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, my pleasure. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye. Mindful Tribe, thanks for joining me again today here in Mindfulness Mode. And one more reminder, check out Parent Their Passion, parenttheirpassion.com to learn more about my guests today and what they offer. And of course, I always invite you to send me an email, connect with me, let me know what you think of the episode, the podcast, if you have suggestions for other guests or other topics, let me know. Uh, send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have a great rest of your day and take what we learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.